Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 71. This class is sponsored Leilui Nishmat Esther Bat Sarah Maman by her family, Ruach Hashem, Tenehina Begin Hayden, and this is, am I now? No? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, we are in class number 71. Last week, we spoke about Davar Tov, how De'aga, how worry can be resolved with Davar Tov, something good. And we spoke about a Bayit Ne'eman, as being one of the Davar Tovs, a great piece of our life, if it's Tov, will solve many of our issues. Today we're going to be a little more focused on this subject. And we're going to start off with a few important questions about marriage. Number one, what is the purpose of this creation that Hashem made in this world called marriage? What was he thinking? What was he trying to achieve when he made such an institution? Why is it that a person should get married? If somebody asks, why should I get married? What's my goal? Why did Hashem make men and women so different? Which of course creates so many issues when they are living together. What was the plan behind that? Before we answer these questions, it's important just to lay down the foundation that when it comes to important things in life, we generally don't just wing it and try to figure out later on what the results are. For example, it would be inconceivable that a person would open a business would open a factory without clear plans of what they're trying to manufacture, what they're trying to sell, how they're going to do it, to whom they're going to sell, who's their customer. We can't imagine that a person would start building a home or a building without first planning hours and sometimes years to see exactly what they want to build and how they want to build it. A good builder will not lay one stone until he knows where the last stone is going to be. We can't imagine 
what a building would look like if it had anything less than that. How much more so? We have in Shah something called the Kalva Homer. Kalva Homer means if you pay so much attention to a business, if we pay so much attention to a house, a physical home, how much more so should it be clear to every person that gets married or is looking to get married, what exactly are they trying to build? How can the results be awesome when we don't have that clarity? It should be to no one's surprise that unfortunately many marriages fail. And we're not going to talk about the divorced marriages. We're going to talk about even regular marriages, the ones that are day-to-day that seem to be okay. It almost seems like okay marriages are the best marriages because that's all really that you can expect. There's not much more than just being okay. If you're getting along and you're not fighting too much, so you're doing well. If you stay married for 50 years, you're doing great. But really, I don't think we would consider that a success in anything that's worthwhile. For example, in business, nobody would say, oh, I'm in business for 50 years, so I'm doing great. You're not doing great until you tell me if you're making money. What are you making? What are you doing? What was your goal? What were you trying to achieve? So it's not a surprise that we see many struggling marriages. And like I said, even the ones that are not so struggling in our eyes, it could be in light of the purpose, it is a tremendous struggle. For example, if a business was made to make billions of dollars or millions of dollars and they're making $100,000, that's not a success, it's a failure. Even though it may not look like a failure, but in the context of what was supposed to happen, it's not even close. So in that measurement, there are many failures in marriage. We could say perhaps even most marriages. If we looked at the purpose and understood what the goal is, we would say, whoa, I don't know if anyone is like this. I'm not sure if anyone has been close to this. And I don't say that when I walk out of here having amazing marriages because of this class, but there is no way to even get close to that if we don't even know what it is. What is the goal? What is the purpose? What does the blueprint say? What are we, what are we trying to build? What is the last stone on top that we're trying to reach? Before we start this journey, we need to know what the end goal is. We may not get there day one or day two, but at least we know where we're going. And that makes the journey much more satisfying and much clearer and hopefully much more successful. You know, not every mitzvah that we mention in this class do we ask, so what's the purpose? What's the purpose of Shabbat? What's the purpose of Kashrut? 
What's behind tefillin? Not every time we do a mitzvah do we have to go and analyze what's behind it. Because in reality, you can keep Shabbat 100% the right way. And even though you don't know why, what was the purpose in the Creator's mind when He gave us Shabbat? What did He want us to achieve? It would be beautiful if we knew what was behind the mitzvot. And we find many holy Sfarim talk about to the best of our ability why Hashem said to do this and why He said not to do this. But in the reality of how the mitzvah looks, a person who understands what's behind the tefillin or doesn't understand, they do the mitzvah exactly the same. The actual physical mitzvah doesn't change if you understand why or why not. It's that way for Shabbat. It's that way for any mitzvah that we do. So we don't have to ask on every mitzvah why. If we asked why, it's an extra credit. And if we got the answer, it would be a a great cause for celebration. But the actual mitzvah would not change. We just have to learn what Hashem wants and we do it. And we know in the end, everything is going to work out the right way. When it comes to marriage, it's not like that. This is not a bonus question. This is not a question, okay, fine, we'll be married, we'll do all the right things anyway, it's the same thing. Oh, it would be great if I understood why. That would be so nice if I just got to know why Hashem made marriage. Well, the purpose of marriage. That's not this kind of question. It's not an extra question. It's not like a Shabbat question where it's a bonus to know what's behind it, what's the goals, where am I trying to reach? All the mitzvot that I mentioned and more, it would be a bonus question to know what's the goal. When it comes to marriage, it's not a bonus. It is integral in the physical results of marriage. What you're going to see in a marriage is going to have very much to do with the mindset of understanding what it's all about and where is it supposed to be taking us. So it's not a bonus question to ask this when it comes to marriage. Today's class is not about giving the details that everybody has heard about marriage. Be careful with your wife, how you talk to her about certain issues. Make sure your husband feels tremendous respect from you. Make sure you're patient around him. Make sure there's so many details that everybody here has learned, read, heard. That's not today's class. All the advice that we'll ever hear is definitely helpful, but you have to know that it's never complete. No matter how many books I'll give you on marriage to tell you what to do, what not to do, it's never complete. Because no woman is the same, and no man is the same, and no combination is the same. What works for most may just not work for this one. What works all the time may not work this time. There are so many aspects of the relationship 
that you can never get it right. It's not a blueprint where you open Shohan Aruch and say, okay, so what do I do now? Because there are endless situations with endless formulas and endless different things, nuances that may change everything. It's not like that in Tefillin. In Tefillin, there's a question here, there's a question there. You look it up, you open Shulchan Aruch, you put it on. Left hand, right hand, are you lefty, are you righty? What part of your head? What part of your arm? Shabbat, what's allowed, what's not allowed? Is this okay in this situation? It's black and white, more or less. When it comes to relationships, especially marriage, the most complicated relationship, it's not like that. There is no Shulchan Aruch that you could open up and read, okay, so this situation calls for this. Not always, not in this case. This is an exception. So many exceptions, very little rules that you could say apply all over when you go down to the specifics. So therefore, it becomes so essential to marriage to understand the bigger picture. Because if you understand the bigger picture, the details become so obvious depending on the situation. Shabbat, even if I don't have the bigger picture, I have all the details. It's going to work. Because once I have the details, I'll make it the best Shabbat that it could be. But in marriage, it's not like that. So if you don't have the details always to check or to check from a book, you're going to need to know the bigger picture. And then you'll be able to apply the principles based on your understanding of what's supposed to be in the end. Because it's not always clear. And it's not always going to be printed. That's why I say this is not a bonus question. This is not, oh wow, it would be great to know this. It's not, it would be great. This is essential. You need to know this before you get into it. Before we discuss what is, let me tell you what is not. Most people who are asked this question will say, well, why did Hashem create marriage? People will say, to have children. Which is obviously not true. You don't have to be married to have children. Besides, Hashem could have made children come from the ground like a tree, like a fruit. Like most things that grow in this world. They don't have to come from a union of a man and a woman. So that's not the reason Clearly that's what happens, and maybe an important part of marriage, but that's not the purpose of marriage. To have children is not the purpose. Besides that, we found so many great people in our history, so many great rabbis that got remarried twice, sometimes three times. Even though they already had children, their wives passed away. They already fulfilled the mitzvah of Peru They weren't gonna have children anymore at the age they got married, but yet they got married again. There was no mitzvah of having children. So why did they get married for? We find a halacha by the Kohen Gadol. As you know, the Kohen Gadol was the master of ceremonies in the Beit HaMikdash on Yom Kippur. 
he did the Avodah. The Halakha says that if he's not married, he cannot do the work in the Beit HaMikdash. He could be, he had many children, but he needs to be married. There's something about being married that makes the Kohen Gadol capable of being a person who's serving Hashem in the Beit HaMikdash. The Torah writes in the beginning of Eben Aizen. He's introducing the halachot of marriage. And he says that Hashem knows that it's not good for a person to be by himself. That's why he made him a helper. Ve'od, and furthermore, ki kavanata ba'adam Meaning, our creation, one of the purpose is to have children. You see, he adds that as ve'od, and also. Yes, you, you get married also to have children. But the first thing was not having children. The first thing was, it's not good for a person to be by themselves. What does that mean? What's so bad to be by yourself? But you see, it's not about having children. That isn't the purpose of marriage. And it's not either because of pleasure or because of happiness or because of unity. All those things are perhaps important parts of marriage. But that's not the purpose of marriage. So what is the purpose of marriage? What exactly was the Creator's mindset when He made marriage? What did He want us to get out of it? I'd like to share with you a thought that was written by Rabbeinu Tam in his book called Sefer HaYashan. This is a far-reaching idea, not just to our subject, but he says that there are secrets of the upper worlds. Let me explain to you in simple English. It means that our relationship with Hashem sometimes is beyond our ability to understand. He calls that the secrets of the upper worlds. He says, in order for us to appreciate these secrets of the upper worlds, he says, Hashem, what He did for us is He gave us similar types of situations in the lower world so that from them, will be able to understand better and appreciate the things that are beyond our understanding. Basically, it means Hashem gave us in this world meshalim, all different types of parables in our lives to learn from, and from them we'll be able to learn how to relate to our Creator. Let me give you an example. There is a mitzvah called Ahavat Hashem. To love Hashem. Imagine there will be a person that grew up without a father, without a mother, without brothers, without sisters, without relatives, without friends, without rabbis helping him, without anybody. He grew up in a cave by himself. Nobody around him, no one that loved him, no one that took care of him. 
And then you sat and told him, you know, one of the mitzvot in your life is to love Hashem. Love Hashem? What, what, what does love mean? You know, love, like you love them, you just, you know that feeling of love that you, that you felt before? I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody ever loved me, I never loved anybody. What do you mean doing for somebody else, feeling somebody else's pain or have, what are you talking about? I know what you're saying. If we would tell a human that there's a mitzvah to love God, they would have no idea what that is. They don't know what it feels like. They don't know how to get there. It would be a waste of time to tell a human. That would be called sodot ha'elion. It would be a secret of the upper world to love God. What does that mean? So what does Hashem do for us? He puts us in a world and we have a father that loves us, a mother that loves us. Brothers, sisters, we feel the love. Hopefully we start to love ourselves. And all of a sudden, when it says, oh, you know, you're supposed to love God. Oh, I know what that is. I've experienced that. I saw people who love me. Hopefully I love people too. I know what that feels like. I know what you have to do when you're in love with somebody. You talk to them. You buy them gifts. You do all kinds of things for people that you love. Oh, wow, I got it. How are we able to understand to love the Creator? Only because He gave us a mashal. He gave us a parable in our life. He put us with people that love us and that we learn to love, and then we get it. Oh wow, that's what he wants. Without that, we wouldn't know what he's asking us. And there are many things in life like that, where Hashem wants a certain relationship with us, but we won't be able to appreciate it, because it's way above our understanding. So he gives us physical examples, and from there, we're able to get to the higher purpose and the higher worlds. So let's talk about a mitzvah. I'm not sure if you know this, but there's a mitzvah in the Torah that is the purpose of all mitzvot. It is the purpose of every single thing that we do in life. We open up Shema Yisrael, that pasuk or that parasha that Hashem tells us to say every day, at least two times, we're saying Shema. What is the first thing that we hear? Shema Yisrael Hashem. After we say Hashem is one, what's the first thing that we talk about? Ve'ahavta et Hashem elokecha. We are commanded to love Hashem. This mitzvah is repeated no less than 13 times in the Torah. Just that alone says, wow, this must be an important item. If you look in the Zohar, the Zohar Kadosh writes, Come and see. I'm translating in Hebrew. There isn't a thing that is dear, that is precious to Hashem. 
There is nothing more precious that we can have with our Creator than a relationship of love. In fact, the Sefer Ikarim writes, he says that the Ahava, the love for Hashem is, he calls it, Takhlit Kol HaTorah. It is the purpose of the entire Torah. That means all the mitzvot that we need to do. All the averot, the things to stay away from. Everything in the Torah is leading to one stone on top. That stone is called Ahavat Hashem. To have a loving, emotional relationship with the Creator of the world. Rabbeinu Bahir writes, that the standing of a person in Olam Haba is dependent on his level of Ahavat Hashem. Meaning in Olam Haba there's different levels. So how do they decide the levels based on what? Based on which act? Based on which mitzvah? Says Rabbeinu Bahia, it's dependent on Ahavat Hashem. The measurement of Ahavat Hashem basically decides a person's eternity. If you look in the Torah, you'll find that the reward and punishment in the Torah is talui, is dependent on this nekudah. For example, in Shema, in the second parashah, it says, Vehaya im el mitzvotai. Hashem says, if you listen to my mitzvot, which ones? Le'ahava et Hashem Elohechem. To love Hashem with all of your heart. I will give you rain, I will give you beracha. And you'll find throughout the Torah, Hashem says, I do kindness for thousands of generations. Those who love me. Yehoshua Binun, at the end of his life, he gave his last words to Am Yisrael. He says, Be very careful. Be careful that you develop a loving relationship with Hashem. You see, our relationship with Hashem is not meant to be a dry relationship of us doing things because He said. The purpose of our relationship is to build Ahava, to build love. For example, a person who every day buys from vending machines, candy, sandwiches, drinks, coffee, doesn't love the vending machine. He's happy he has a vending machine that gives him food and drink when he wants. But the relationship is not a loving one. There's no emotion. There are many people who appreciate the creator of the world. Oh yes, thank you. You gave me this, you gave me that, you gave me life, you give me breathing, you give me a family, you gave me parnasa. Thank you so much. But it's a vending machine relationship. There's no emotion, there's no love. The purpose of our existence is to develop a loving relationship with the creator of the world. Not a relationship where I just do what he says and there's no connection. That's not what we're here for. We're here le'ahava, 
One of the big unfortunate realities in Judaism is that this mitzvah, if I talk about it, people say, what? What is that? Ahavat Hashem? Which mitzvah is that? We're so careful in so many things, but this mitzvah seems to be like put on the side. Nobody talks about it. Many people never even heard about it. I mean, they heard about it, but not in a real way. There's so many people that are so particular in every one of the mitzvot, but the Ahavat Hashem is lacking. One of the mistakes that people make is that they think that this mitzvah is for very religious people, very pious people, very holy people. Oh, those people, they have love of Hashem. They know that there's levels, there's fear of Hashem and there's love of Hashem. We're not even by the fear of Hashem. Love of Hashem is like way beyond my ability. That's for really great people. But that's not true. Because we may not be able to reach the highest levels in one day, but we need to develop it day after day. The mitzvah is for every single one of us. Another mistake is that people think it will come by itself. If you just keep mitzvot, you'll just keep Shabbat, you'll put on tefillin, you'll make sure you eat the right foods, you make sure you do the right things, you'll learn Torah, and it's just going to come. And that's not true. Of course, the mitzvot, they bring a person to love Hashem, but it has to be with the person's intentions. It just doesn't come automatically by itself. There has to be that goal in mind. There has to be a building that's reaching to that end. There's a famous story that took place some 2,500 years ago between Yirmiyahu Hanavi and the philosopher Plato. Yirmiyahu Hanavi was standing and crying about the destruction of Yerushalayim. And suddenly Plato, who saw him crying, he approached him and said, I'm very surprised. He says, I have two questions on you. Number one, they say you're a wise man in the Jewish nation. Why are you crying about destroyed rocks and destroyed wood? And the second question I have on you is, you know, the Beit HaMikdash is already destroyed. And it's not befitting a wise person like yourself to cry on things that already happened in the past. Two questions. A, why are you crying about stones and wood? And B, it already happened. It's done. Wise people don't cry about the past. Yirmiyahu al-Navi, when he heard these questions, tells Plato, you know, I'm sure as a philosopher, you encountered many questions that maybe you don't have an answer for. Would you like to share them with me and maybe I can help you? And Plato was very happy to hear that someone might help him with his sfekot, his doubts. 
things he didn't know how to answer. And he asked Yirmiyahu one question, and Yirmiyahu answered him. Another question, he answered him. All his questions, he answered one by one. Plato was shocked. He couldn't believe, is this a human being? Is this an angel? What kind of person is this? Imagine this great philosopher who worked everything out and had all these questions after everything is said and done, that's all he had doubts on. And he came, and one after the other, he answered them all. He couldn't believe this man that's standing in front of him. Yirmiyahu tells him, you see all the wisdom that I just showed you with the answers that I gave you to your questions? He says, you should know that I got that wisdom from these rocks and these stones. That's the answer to your first question. I'm not crying about stones and wood. The source of my wisdom comes from those stones. And as far as the second question you asked me, why would a wise man like you cry about something that already happened? A tragedy that took place already. So he tells them something amazing. He says, I cannot answer you. Because you're not capable of understanding the answer. That's what he told them. He says, you can't understand why. And that's the end of the story. Why can't he understand why? What's the issue? What's the secret that he couldn't understand? You're talking to Plato, who's a genius. He tells him, the second question you asked me, why I'm crying about the past, destruction, you're not capable of understanding. You know why he wasn't capable of understanding? Because a philosopher thinks black and white. His mind is raw knowledge. It's right, wrong, good, bad. His life approach is intellectual. It's all about the brain. Yirmiyahu didn't live his life that way. He lived his life like a Jew that was full of emotion, full of heart. Let's ask this question. If Yirmiyahu was crying at the loss of his father and mother, would Plato ask him why you're crying? Of course not. Everybody knows. What do you mean? You're crying for the loss of your parents? Of course you're crying. It's obvious. Why? Because when someone is so close to your heart and they're no longer there, you start crying. Plato was not capable of understanding how a relationship with the creator of the world or through the Beta Migdash could be worthy of crying. Because to him, philosophy was intellectual. It didn't hit the heart. He told him, you're not capable of understanding because you don't have a heart for the knowledge that you practice. We live a different kind of life. Our relationship with our creator is a, create, is a relationship of love, of ahava. Let me read for you Rambam. The Rambam says in Lechot Teshuvah, 
He says, what is the measurement of the proper love that a person should have with the creator of the world? If you're wondering, so do I love Hashem? I, I don't know. Do I? How much love do I have for Hashem? So says the Rambam, what is the shi'ur? What is the measurement of the proper love that a person should feel emotionally for the creator of the world? He says, who? She'ehav et Hashem, that he should love Hashem, ahava gedola, it should be a big love, yetera, extra, azam me'od, very powerful love. You read these words, you have no idea what he's saying. I mean, we understand the words, but I think all of us could say, well, so is mine very strong? Is it very powerful? On the scale of one to 10, where's mine? Is it a one? Is it a 10? Is it a five? I have no idea what to do with these words. He says, so much should the love be that a person feels that his soul is connected to Hashem. And he can't get his mind off Hashem. He's so in love with him. So now the Rambam knows, we have no idea what he's writing. Again, you read nice words, they seem very flowery and very nice, but they don't mean anything. Because how do you measure that? Comes the Rambam and says, let me tell you how to measure it. He says, He's like a person who's sick from love. You ever meet a person who's sick from love? What does he look like? Says the Rambam, His mind is not free. Means there is no space in his mind. When he's in love with a woman. And his mind is always on this woman that he loves. If he's sitting somewhere, he's thinking about her. Whether he's up, around, going somewhere, he's thinking about her. He's eating. He's drinking. What a shock. In the middle of the mitzvah of Ahavat Hashem, of loving Hashem, the Rambam starts talking about the love of a man and a woman. He just took like the highest spiritual achievement in life and like, I don't know, a little bit lowered it. The physical love of a man and a woman, I mean, it's very nice, but does that belong in this halakha of the Rambam? That now he wants us to start imagining the love of a man and a woman with each other? Is that where he wants our mind to be involved now? When he talks about the holiest mitzvah of loving Hashem? Is he not lowering it a little bit? Is that a mashal we should be thinking about at this point of time? But he brings it in. And he says, because he has, you know why? He has no way of describing to a person, what does it mean to be so in love that you're sick from love? That you can't hold any other thought in your mind in a normal way without thinking about the one that you love. 
That's the only mashal he can give us to give us a little bit of, of a comparison. When you read this, you say, oh, I don't know how much I love I am Rasha. I'm not sure. I don't think I'm that in love. Because hopefully a person has been in love. I say hopefully, that's not my words. Let me read for you the words of the Rashid Chokhmah. The Rashid Chokhmah says, one of the holy books that we have in our library. He says, me, you can't believe he's saying these words. He's a very strong rabbi. He speaks some very strong words. Rashid Chokhmah. He says, me shelo hashak isha, someone who didn't fall in love with a woman, He's like a hamor, he says. And even less than a hamor. I'm not going to translate the word hamor. He says, He's because if you never fell in love with somebody, then you never could understand what it means to love Hashem. So basically you're left out. You can't love God if you don't have any physical example in your life. You might walk around thinking, oh, I love Hashem so much. You don't know. You don't know how much I love Hashem. Hashem, I love you. You even put a bumper sticker on your car and say, I love you, Hashem. And maybe you sing the song, I love you, Hashem. And maybe you talk about it with your children. But when you read this Rambam, you say, oh, I'm not sure how much I love Hashem. I'm not sure. Because he gave me a mashal in the real world. By the way, it's not the Rambam who gave him mashal. Hashem gave the mashal. Hashem created, like Rabbeinu Tam says, he created the purpose of life, which is to love Hashem, to have that relationship with Hashem all day, every day. He created a physical example in this world called marriage. Marriage isn't something that we just do. Marriage is something that's supposed to elevate our entire purpose of life, which means that if we don't find in our marriages, in our relationships in general, marriage is the highest relationship. If we're not capable of finding the highest love in our marriage, then that's gonna tamper with our love of the Creator. Because the only mashal, imagine a person only felt in their marriage on a scale of zero to a hundred, they only got to like a 30. Maybe that's good in today's world. A 30, it's good. You got a 30, it's good. But that means you're only capable of a 30 when it comes to Hashem. Because there's no way you could understand anything more than what you experienced in this world. So that's why the Rashid Chokhmah is saying, if you don't have that relationship in the right order, if you're not on top of your game in marriage, then you can't reach love of God. What an amazing thing. It comes out that marriage actually is our assistant in life to be able to reach the highest purpose of life. And the better you are at marriage, the greater you can be at 
your full mission of being in love with the Creator of the world. All along we thought that falling in love in marriage and being in love with marriage is this physical item that Hashem put for our pleasure and our enjoyment, which of course it is. But it's only a little taste. It's like a little little peek into something so much bigger. But we can't get into the so much bigger unless we have this in a big way. We will never, nobody who didn't have someone they're in love with could understand what the Rambam is talking about. If nobody was in love in their life, they read this Rambam and they say, I don't know what that is. You mean, I, don't, I don't stop thinking about that? Whenever I'm up, wherever I go, whenever I eat, whenever I drink, who's that? Never heard of a person like that. I never had that feeling. So you read the Rambam and basically you walk away with no, with no instruction. Because this kind of instruction, you can't get it from words. You see, emotional things, you can't learn them from words. That's why Plato could never understand what Yirmiyahu will explain to him. You could learn intellectual from words, but you can't feel from words. What will Yirmiyahu tell him? That he would understand nothing. There's nothing to understand. The Rambam continues. Vehu Sheshelomo Amar Derech Mashal. He says, by the way, I'm going to explain to you now what Shalomu HaMelech was intending when he wrote in his Shira Shirim Ki Holat Ahava Ani. Shira Shirim is a Megillah that Shalomu HaMelech wrote. And basically, if you translate it, it basically describes a love story. A love story of a man and a woman. So shocking that Shalom Melech would write such a story. He wrote Mishle, beautiful. His father wrote Tehillim, gorgeous. He wrote Kohelet, Musar, strong Musar. And then he writes Shira Shirim. And if you read it and you translate it into English, which I don't recommend because it's very misleading, you're reading a love story. A man who's in love with a woman and she's in love with him. And they try to figure out how they can get together. That's what Shlomo Melech wrote. Says the Rambam. That's what he was expressing when he said, Holat Ahava Ani. That's part of Shira Shirim. There's a Pasuk that says, I am so sick from love. Says the Rambam, Vekol Shir Hashirim. The entire Megillah of Shira Shirim, Mashalhu Le'inyanze. It's all a mashal for this subject. In fact, if you open up the Mishnah in Masechet Yadaim, there is a Mishnah, there's a Masechet called Masechet Yadaim. It talks about the Tum'ah of the hands. And over there it says, that Rabbi Akiva made the following statement. He says, En kol ha'olam kulo kedai, 
He says, there's nothing that happened in the history of the world that's worthwhile like the day. There's no day in the world. If you ask me, what's, if you ask me, what is the day in the world that was the most kedai? Like something happened that day that was the most worthwhile of any day in history. I, I would say Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, maybe Matan Torah. I would say things like that. Says the Rabbi Akiva, the greatest day is the day Shenitan Bo Shira Shirin Israel. The day that Shalomo Melech shared with us Shira Shirin. Wow, shocking. A book that we would look at it and say, I don't know, it's like a little bit, does it belong in Tanakh even? Like, should it be outside of Tanakh? He doesn't stop. Look what he says. Shekol ketuvim, all the holy books, are Kodesh. They're holy. Sefer Torah is holy. Any of the books of Tanakh are holy. Tehillim is holy. Shekol ketuvim, all the written books, are Kodesh. We kiss them. Veshira shirim, Kodesh Kadashim is holy of holies. Shira Shirim is a different level. All the written words are very holy, but Shira Shirim is super holy. Now, how do we understand that? How does that make sense? But according to today's class, it makes perfect sense. Because all the other books, they tell you what to do. They tell you what not to do, how to behave, how not to behave. That's holy, that's beautiful. But there's one book that teaches you how to feel. And that's Shira Shirim. That's holy of holies. Because everything that we do is meant to be a stepping stone to the feeling of love, of Ahava. Could you imagine a marriage where both sides of the fence check off every single list that they have, every box. They were taught all the things to do and not to do. And they just walk around with a list all day and they check it. Oh, they said, they taught me that when my husband comes home, I'm supposed to go open the door and greet him. Let me see, okay, I go. And I even repeat the words that they said to say. And the husband says, oh, they told me that every once in a while I should buy my wife jewelry. I think it's time now, let me see. I go buy her and then I read, here, I just wanna show you how much I love you. Uh, yeah, that's right, that's the right word. Thank you. It's beautiful. What a marriage. Could you imagine a marriage where both sides fulfill every one of their obligations? That's a marriage you never saw, by the way. Where everyone fulfills their obligation to the top. The husband does everything he's supposed to do. And the wife does everything she's supposed to do. But there's one thing missing. There's no ahava. What kind of marriage is that? It's a failure marriage. But what do you mean? They do everything right. Yes, but they're missing the most important part of a marriage. 
And that's the emotional connection. That's what Rabbi Akiva is saying. All the books, they're great. They tell you your obligations. Do this, don't do this. Go there, don't go there. Eat that, don't eat that. Beautiful. You need that. A marriage without obligations can never reach the love and the emotions. But that's not the end. That's just Kodesh. That's just holy. But Shira Shirim is Kodesh Kodashim because Shira Shirim hits the mark. Shira Shirim is the purpose of marriage and the purpose of life. It's the purpose of everything that we do. It's the relationship with the Creator that is what we're supposed to be achieving. And now we can better understand what happened in the Holy of Holies. The holiest place on earth is Eretz Israel. In Eretz Israel, the holiest place is Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim, the holiest place is Harabayit, the Temple Mount. In the Temple Mount, the holiest place is the Bet HaMikdash. In the Bet HaMikdash, the holiest place is the Hechal. Only Kohanim can go there. In the Hechal, there is a little room called the Holy of Holies. That is the holiest spot on the planet Earth. And you go in there, what do you see? You expect what you expect to see something special. And you do. You see the Aron. You see the box that's housing in it the tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu got from Har Sinai. That's exactly what you expect to see. There's nothing else there. Just that. But then if you look again, you'll notice something a little shocking. The Torah says that on top of the box, you make two keruvim. Shenayim keruvim. Two cherubs. What are these cherubs? These are childlike figures made of gold. So strange. A religion that has not very good things to say about any kind of statues or figures. It's one of the first things Hashem told us on Har Sinai. Do not make images. And in the Holy of Holies, what do you see? You see golden figures of children. It says Shenayim Kirubim, not Shene Kirubim, not two Kirubim, Shnaim. What's the difference? Says Rabbeinu Bahya, Shnaim means while there are two Kirubim, but each one is different. Because one was a male and one was a female. A male and a female on top of the Aron HaKodesh in the Holy of Holies? Are we missing something here? What is going on? That's not what you expected to see. Maybe if an image you expected, you would think maybe Moshe Rabbeinu in a picture. Someone would put a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu. That makes sense. Abraham Avinu makes sense. A figure of a girl and a boy on top of the Holy of Holies. How do you understand that? But according to Rabbi Akiva, it makes perfect sense. Because the Holy of Holies in life is to reach Ahava, to reach love of God. That is the Holy of Holies. 
And what is the only example they could put in the Holy of Holies to describe such a thing? Where did Rambam learn that when you're writing Ilchot Teshuvah and you're talking about the highest level of a spiritual person, you start talking about a love of a man and a woman? Where do you get that from? I would have been frightened to write that. People would have said, what? What's that Rambam doing? Bringing this holy book into like a very physical level. What is he doing? Perhaps, and I'm saying this, perhaps he got it from the Holy of Holies. What is it? From God himself. You walk into the holiest place on earth. You're in the spiritual mood of raising yourself to a new level. And you see a man and a woman together on top of the Aron. Now we can understand why. Because you can't reach the Holy of Holies if you don't have that. Because you'll never understand, just like Plato can never understand. You can never understand what that's supposed to feel like if you don't know what that feels like. It's not something extra. It is the key ingredient. Marriage was created to give us a mashal of the highest ahava, of the highest love possible, that we can step on that ladder and jump to our Creator. This explains how Adam and Hava were created. I'm not sure how many noticed when you learn the beginning of Bereshit. And it talks how Hashem created Adam. And then Hashem said, everybody knows this, Hashem says, It's not good for Adam to be by himself. Let me make him a helper that's going to be opposite him. Now we understand what the helper is doing. It's not good for Adam to be by himself because then the whole purpose of his existence basically is a waste because he can never achieve Ahabat Hashem. Lo tov. He can never reach tov. So let me give him a helper that he'll be able to love. And they'll be able to understand together what this is. Beautiful. Everyone knows this. But what you may not have paid attention to is the next pasuk. What did Hashem do when he realized that Adam didn't have this helper? So Hashem formed from the earth, it says, Kol Hayat Hasadeh. He made all the animals, the wild animals of the field. Ve'et Kol Of Hashamayim. And he made all the birds. El Ha'adam. And he brought them to Adam. He brought him the cats. He brought him a dog. He brought him. He brought him a lion. He brought him an elephant. He brought him a dolphin. He brought him no, not not fish. He brought him all. He brought him an eagle. He brought him the most beautiful birds, the most amazing animals. Every one of them he brought to Adam. That must have taken a long time. He brought him this one, and this one, and that one, and this one. Lirot to see my 
to see what Adam will call that animal. And he called every one of these creations, he gave them names, defining their essence. The end of the Pasuk says, after it says that he called each one by their name, will Adam lo matza ezer kenegdo. But he couldn't find from all of these creations someone that's going to help him. Wait a second. Did Hashem think that a dog is going to help him? What, what was going on here? Again, let's see this picture again. Hashem says, oh, he's alone. He can't make it alone. He can't succeed alone. Okay, so he starts creating elephants and lions and bears and dogs and cats and all kinds of birds. And one by one, he brings Adam. And Adam looks at them. He names them. He sees their essence. He names them. And after he names all of them, the Pasuk says, oh, after all of that, he couldn't find a helper for Adam. And then after he made the woman, Vayomer Adam says the Adam, oh, Zotapam, oh, this is the right one. Zotapam means, it sounds like Hashem was giving him so many opportunities to connect with all of the animals that he made. Maybe this one will help him. Maybe that one will help him. Maybe this one could help him. But no one could help him. Until he created a woman and said, Oh, this one, Zot Hapa'am, Me'atzamai. This is a bone from my bones. Ubasar Mi Besari. It's flesh from my flesh. Lezot Yikare Isha. This one can be called an Isha. The other ones can't be called an Isha. Alken says the person, oh, therefore, Ya'azov ish et aviv et imo, a man must leave his father and mother. Ve'davak be'ishto, and become united with his wife. Ve'hayul hat, and they can become truly one. What's going on here? Why did Hashem have to create the animals? Did Hashem not know that the animals won't go? So number one, Hashem is teaching us that in order for Adam to love this woman, he has to look for her. He has to chase after her. That's one of the reasons why we're not born married. A woman and man must be chasing you have to look. Oh, it's not that one. Every time you date and it doesn't work out. Oh, great. It's not that one. You know how many dates Adam went on? Every single behemah he went out with. And he says, it's not the one. Why does Hashem put him through that? For what reason? Because in order to create that bond... He has to look for her. He has to feel the value of what she is. And sometimes you don't know what someone is until you go through others that didn't work. And you went one by one. That's one lesson that Hashem was teaching Adam. 
to love something, you got to go after it. You got to pray for it. You have to do all that you can. It's not meant to be where you sit back and it just happens to you because there'll be something lacking in your ahava. Adam had to keep looking. Try this one. No. Try that one. No. God, I'm exhausted. Keep going. How many times have people felt exhausted from dating? I can't. I'm, I'm tired. I don't want it anymore. You got to keep going. People think Adam got married. Oh, it was so easy. He only had one wife. He didn't. He had so many options till he found that one. That's one lesson Hashem taught Adam and all of us. And the other lesson is that no animal can be your acquaintance. Because there's something missing. What's missing from a lion? It's amazing. What a great, what a great relationship that is. You have a lion, beautiful. It's powerful. Beautiful. Great. What's what's missing from a lion? In fact, if you think I'm over exaggerating, Rashi says that Adam went with every behemoth. Hashem told to date each one and have like a relationship with them to see. But it didn't work until he went with Hava. What's going on there? What's going on is that an animal is not capable of the emotional connection that two humans can have. So everything could be wonderful in their relationship, but the emotional part is lacking. That love that you have for another person is missing. Zotapa'am. Oh, this one. This one I can become one with. I can only connect on such a level with someone like in Isha that came from a man. Hashem is teaching us something that marriage isn't about you do this for me, I do for you. That you get a dog. <laughs> dog is great. Doesn't bother you. He's there when you need him. He gets what you need. He plays with you when you're, when you're interested. He hangs out when you're not. It's beautiful. And many people in the world actually have figured that out. Just get a dog. It's much easier. You don't need to get married. It's man's best friend, as they say. What a beauty. Adam probably may have agreed with you. He was a great friend. But there was no love like there is on a level of an Isha and Isha. Yes, people like their dogs. People maybe even connected to their dogs. But it's nowhere near the Ahava that the Rambam describes where you can't stop, you can't move without thinking. It's not possible to get there unless it's a human like you. That is the purpose of marriage. And there's no limit to that love. A person who's not married, who's listening to this class, you need this class more than anybody else. Because it's giving you the last stone 
before you start investing in your first stone. How unfortunate it is that so many people got married and don't even know why. I mean, yes, they felt something. Maybe they felt something special, but they didn't realize what they were trying to achieve. And of course, things along the way are going to fall apart. And those who are married, it may be a little late, but it's never too late. And there's never a level where we say, oh yeah, we got, we're good, we're good. We hit a very high level. Let me give you an example. In the Torah where we see, you can never say you hit the top level of Ahava. The Torah tells us that the angels came to Abraham Avinu to give him some good news about his health, about having a child. And they said to him, Vayomeru elav. They said to him, Ayesara ishtecha. Abraham, where's your wife, Sarah? Vayomer, and he said, Hinebaohel. What do you mean, my wife, Sarah? She's in the tent. She doesn't hang out outdoors. It's not the kind of woman she is. So the Gemara says, In Baba What's going on here? The angels, first of all, they know where she is. They're angels. And second of all, what is their business? To ask him where his wife is. Why is that an important question? Where's your wife? That's not a nice question. Why the angel asking him that? Says the Gemara, Omrim, sorry, Yodim Hayu, Malache Hasharet, Sarah Imenu Hechan Haita. Of course they knew where she is. Ella Lehodia Shetsenua Haita. They wanted to bring out that she is a modest woman, which is such music to a great man's ear, that his wife is tsenua. In fact, in Judaism, the highest level of righteousness of a woman, for example, the Gemara says, that if a person is zocheh, he has merit, he gets to marry a tzaddeket, a righteous woman, beautiful. Rashi, Allah v'ashalom, says, tzaddeket, tzenua. What's a tzaddeket of a woman? The tzaddeket of a woman is tzenua. So Abraham Avinu's greatest compliment about his wife is that she is a modest woman. So they wanted to bring this quality in Sarah out. For who? There's nobody there. They didn't need to know about it. They knew already. Abraham also knew. So who were they telling this to? Says the Gemara. Listen to this. To make her more beloved to her husband. That Abraham could love Sarah a little more. The love of Sarah and Abraham is beyond our imagination. But yet, 
the angels found an opportunity that it could be a little more. There's no, you know, love has no boundary because love is spiritual. Only physical things have boundaries. Spiritual things have no boundaries. Love is physical. There is no boundary in love. You can't say, oh yeah, I love enough. It's enough. It's not like that. There's no enough in love. The angels took the opportunity to raise the love of Abraham and Sarah. Just as a side point, when there is love between people in general, especially a husband and wife, Hazal promised us, She'en ha-beracha, Sheruya betoch beto shel adam, Ela ba'avur ishto which means the blessing in a home could only come because of a wife. doesn't mean because you're married. It means that a wife and husband that have a marriage that's supposed to be between a husband and wife bring beracha into home, into a home. In fact, it's the only way to bring the beracha into a home. So it's not just the purpose it's also the blessing, but I think they're connected. Because the whole purpose of life altogether is to have ahava. And for that to happen, Hashem has to give you tools to be able to love Him. But if you don't have a loving marriage, you don't need the tools. There's no purpose to give you beracha. What are you doing with the tools anyway? You're not doing anything with it. There's no purpose to give you tools that you could have more love if you don't have love. That's the source of the blessing. Who can't use an upgrade in their ahava, in their marriage? How does a person do that? What is the way to raise the level of love in relationships in general? Hashem is a great example of that. We find in Parashat Noah, that when Noah was introduced to us, it says that Noah was a righteous man. Later on in that parasha, after Noah already built the teva, he built the ark, waiting for the flood to come. Finally, the time came. And the pasuk says, listen to this pasuk, Vayomer Adonai Lenoah. Hashem tells Noah, Bo ata, go you, bechol betecha elateva, and your family. Could you imagine that moment? You have a world that is basically getting destroyed. The whole world. All the people in it. Everyone's getting destroyed. And there is only going to be this man with his immediate family that's going to be saved. And from him, we will rebuild the new world. Hashem tells him it's time. You need to go into the Teva. But the Pasuk doesn't end here. Look how the Pasuk ends. Ki otecha 
ראיתי צדיק לפניי בדור הזה. Because it's you that I have found to be a righteous person in this generation. This generation. Why does she have to say that? Why does Hashem have to tell Noah that you're a righteous man? Is that like an important part of the story? And isn't it obvious? It's so pashut. You're saving this man from all of humanity. Obviously, he's special. Why does Hashem tell Noah this? And the Torah reports it to us as if it's very important information. Well, it's not important for us because we were already told he was a tzaddik. God told us already. Why does He have to tell us this? And the answer is Hashem is teaching us how to build relationships, how to build people. You build relationships with compliments. When Hashem saw an opportunity for a compliment, He took it and didn't assume that just because He's saving the man's life that He got it. We assume so many times, especially in a marriage, that the compliments are obvious. It's so obvious. We already do so much for the other person. It doesn't have to be spoken. We've heard many times, actions are louder than words. Well, guess what? They're not. Whoever said that doesn't know anything about success in life. Actions are not louder than words. Sometimes you need actions to prove your words, but actions are not louder than words. There's nothing louder than a word. Don't assume that Noah is being built up because you saved him. Tell him why you saved him. Tell him why he's special. Don't assume that he knows it. Hashem is that example of how to build relationships of Ahava. And he tells us about it. There is a well-known Mishnah. It's a Mishnah on Avot, Perek Bet. The Mishnah talks about the students of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, one of the greatest sages in our history. And it says over there that he had five special students, Hamishat Talmidim. And it lists each one by name. And after it lists each one, it says a description about why that student was very special. So for example, it says that, which means that their rabbi would say their praise. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkanos, oh, he was borsid. He was like a hole in the ground that was completely sealed. That no matter how much you put in it, nothing goes through. He remembered everything. He didn't lose one drop. Rabbi Yehoshua, oh. Fortunate is the mother who gave birth to him. What can I say about him? I guess he was like Keter Shemto. He had everything. Rabbi Yosef Hasid. Oh, he's a very pious man. Rabbi Shimon ben Netanel Yerehet. He was scared of sin. He was so careful with his actions. 
Rabbi Al-Azhar bin Arakh, Ma'yan Hamid Gaber. He was the spring that just kept getting stronger. Beautiful. When you read this Mishnah, sounds like, here's a story. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai, the great rabbi, he had five great students, and the Mishnah is telling us why they were great. This one had that, this one had this, and this one had that quality. But I saw once beautifully, but that's not the message of the Mishnah. The Mishnah isn't describing why they're great. It's describing how they became great. Because they had a rabbi that knew how to compliment them. That he found something special in each one. One of them had an amazing memory and he would remind him. One of them, he had an unbelievable way of Hidushim. He just, he was like a spring. He reminded him. When you have a rabbi in your life that reminds you of why you're special, then you will become that special. The Mishnah is listing why they were great. Because they kept hearing the compliments from their rabbi. You know, the Kohen Gadol, when he would be dressed in his Kohen Gadol clothing, he wore, he wore something called the Me'il. The Me'il was this robe. On the bottom, it had these woven pomegranates on the bottom. And in between the pomegranates, there were bells. Total, 72 bells were on the bottom of his robe. So imagine walking next to the Kohen Gadol while he's walking. You just hear a very loud noise of bells. What is the me'il all about? What is that? Why does he have to wear that? Hazal tell us that the bells that he wore was supposed to be a kapara, a forgiveness for Lashon Hara of Am Yisrael. The Kohen Gadol, everything he did was representing the Jewish people. And the bells, that's bringing forgiveness for the Lashon Hara that people were talking about each other. So some say, some ask, I don't get it. If you want to give kapara forgiveness, so why are you putting bells? You should put nothing. No noise. People are talking, talking, talking. The Kohen Gadol should wear something that has no noise. This way they close their mouth and keep quiet. Why the bells? And the answer is because it's not enough to keep your mouth closed. It's not only that you don't talk bad about others. You gotta talk good. Lashon Hatov. Hashem gave us a mouth to talk. In fact, maybe from here we could learn it's one or the other. Your mouth has to talk. It's not gonna just keep quiet. You need to talk. You're going to talk. But you have a choice. Keeping quiet is not one of them. So you either compliment people or you talk negatively. You know what the kapara of talking Lashon Hara? The kapara is the noise of the bells. Lashon Hatov. That's why when the person who had Sara'at 
when it came time to cleanse him, it says they bring two birds. The Zohar says, why two birds? So Zohar says, one of them is Felashon Hara. Zohar says, and the second one is Felashon HaTov. One is for the bad talk, and one is for the good talk. What does that mean? It means that when you speak Lashon Hara, it's a double problem. A, you spoke terrible, A. And B, you didn't speak good. You didn't speak complimentary. You didn't raise the people in your life. So it's two issues that the Mitzvah has to have forgiveness for. Bottom line is that the compliments that we give each other is one of the greatest building blocks of Ahava, of love. Some people feel, you know, if my home was normal, if people in my home acted the right way, I would be full of compliments. You don't know how many compliments I would give my husband if he acted like a normal person. You don't know how many compliments I would give my children if they were just behaved and did the right thing. I think most people feel that way. I wish I could compliment them. Just give me a reason to compliment you. I'll do it all day and all night. That's a mistake. Because it's not goodness that brings compliments. It's compliments that bring goodness. It's the lack of compliments that's causing not enough reason to compliment. We need to be like Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai. He found something. They didn't have it. Everybody has something. There's nobody that's zero on everything. If they are, then speak to your local rabbi. But there's nobody that we know, I think, that doesn't have something to compliment. There's something there. So compliment it. And you will start seeing greater reactions from that person. Not only is complimenting somebody bring ahava, brings love. That is the Aleph Bet. Again, I repeat, the Aleph Bet means the building blocks of love is compliments. Not only does it build love, but it also builds strength. It gives people strength. When you give someone a compliment, it gives them a little boost of energy to be able to do more in their life. It works all the time. Someone once told me, this is going back years, he was basically coming to complain about his wife because he looked miserable. So I told him, why do you always look miserable? He says, Rabbi, what can I tell you? He says, my wife is just impossible. She only cares about herself. She's always buying things for herself. She wants to go on a trip every month somewhere. It's always about her. He said, I, it's very hard to live with such a person. 
I'm sure many women could say that their husbands too. So I told him, you're making a mistake in calculation. I said, you think that your wife is that way, and therefore you're having a very hard time with her. But you should know there's a reason why your wife is looking for all types of things in her life. She's looking to go somewhere. She's looking to buy something. It's because she's missing something that you're not giving her. If you would be giving her what she needs, then she probably wouldn't need as much. Because a lack of compliments create a weak person. A child who hasn't been complimented is a weak child and will stay that way. A wife that's not complimented is a weak wife. A husband who's not complimented is weak. And when you're weak, you become hungry. And when you're hungry, you need to satiate yourself. There's nobody more poor in life than those who need compliments. And we all are poor in that area. We all need some extra words that people need to give us. That is the building blocks, not only of love, but of building the person's strength. And besides, another advantage of compliments is that you're able to give criticism when necessary. I'm sure you've realized by now that criticism in a marriage is a very bad place to go. It never works out. Always something bad happens where basically you stop criticizing because it never helps. It only makes things worse. But sometimes it hurts to see someone doing something and you know it could be better. Is there any way to criticize? I'm not sure. But if there's one way to criticize, it has to be with so many compliments that you've built for days and weeks and months and years. And it is then that maybe you have a possibility to say, by the way, this thing, I'm not sure. If without compliments, that'll never work. So A, compliments build ahava. Compliments build strength of others. And compliments allow you to help others. And I will end off by telling you that complimenting is a big challenge. Number one, we're not used to it. We don't always have examples to follow. Our parents maybe complimented each other, maybe not, and even if they did, it was private probably. Not done in the open. We didn't find examples of that. Thank yous, we did. But compliments, not as much. Besides, there's another additional problem like we mentioned already. We think we do so much, there's no need for compliments. It's not true. As Hashem already displayed for us. A lot of times, a person feels no need to compliment because... Well, let me say it a different way. Sometimes there's so many fake compliments that we give out. So many times people say fake things like, you're awesome, you're great, you're the best. They don't mean anything. 
And usually when people give compliments, they need something from you. They want something from you. Like you go into a store and they, they butter you up. Oh wow, you look so great. And they give you all kinds of compliments. And you know why. You love it anyway, by the way. But you know why they, they're telling you that. Unfortunately, compliments are usually used to get something. And when that happens, if you use your compliments that way, then people will no longer appreciate the compliment. In fact, they might suspect you that you're just using the compliment for something. So what do you need? They're thinking, why are they saying this? So therefore, it's a challenge. The challenge is to compliment without needing anything. That it should be real and honest. And it shouldn't be a tool to get something else. And of course, complimenting is hard because we live a competitive world sometimes. I'm trying to be better than you. You know, I'm a great husband. How many times have you heard a husband say, oh, I'm such a good husband. My wife, she just, she just doesn't do the right things. And how many times you spoke to a woman and said exactly the same thing? And sometimes the same wife and husband, they feel the same way about each other. There's something in us that makes us want to feel like we're on top, that we're the one that's making this marriage. You bought this house because of me. You understand? I put your children, your children, through school. I'm the one who shops for your children. I feed your children. You hear words like that. What's, what's, what's behind it? Each one is trying to prove that they're a better partner than the other one. Somehow it makes them feel more fulfilled when they feel they're doing a better job than the other one. Because there's still that child in them when they were three years old that lost the game and were crying on the side. Because I lost you, so you're better than me. I don't like that. We do this all day long. We're trying to beat people in everything. It's not so much that I need to have this car, but I need to be better than you. So let me, let me get a better car. I could have been better, just as good with that car. I need to have a greater wedding than you because I'm better than you. I need to dress better than you. I'm not trying to look good. I'm trying to look better. It's a big difference. It's okay to look good. You're supposed to look good. It's okay to want good things. It's not okay to want to be better. That's not okay. That's a child that never grew up. It's a child that has very bad character. And unfortunately, we take that straight into marriage. That same attitude. I need to be a better husband than my wife is a wife. And she feels the same. That's a terrible attitude. And that kind of attitude makes it very hard to compliment sincerely. Because when you compliment someone, oh wow, you know, you're so good at this. You're so good at that. And all of a sudden, it almost feels like they're better than you. Especially if they're not giving you compliments back. It makes them feel like they're better. That you're not the better one here. And that's hard to swallow for someone who you're competing with for the crown. But there is no other way. 
There is no other way to build a loving marriage than to be full of compliments day in and day out. Real compliments, sincere compliments, meaningful compliments. And for those who are not married, now is the time to start complimenting your brother and your sister. You know, I ask kids 18 years old, have you ever complimented your brother? And they look at you like, no. I never even thought about it. No. Could you imagine you're living 18 years with a little kid or an older brother and you never said why, you know? You're so good at this. You say thank you sometimes and they help you. But compliments? I don't know what you're talking about. You compliment your mother? Your father? Do you compliment your grandma? You compliment your friends? If you're not complimenting people now, it's not going to happen later. you got to practice. Compliments should be on our lips all day, every day. In all our relationships. Yes, they need to be sincere. Not because you went to this class. Don't read off to your hand. Oh, the rabbi suddenly compliment. Hold on, he's home. <laughs> it's not going to work like that. You need to think about it. You need to find something that's real and honest. It may sound weird the first time. And when you compliment someone and it looks weird, just know where you're holding in life. That you gave a compliment to someone and they were shocked. They needed air and oxygen because they couldn't believe. Like if they ask you, what do you want? That should remind you of where this relationship is standing. That you complimented once and they passed out. Like what does that show? It needs to be all day, every day in our relationships. Building Ahava comes with compliments. And building Ahava in a marriage is the purpose of life. It's not the purpose, it's not a small thing. It's developing our ability to develop the Ahava between us and Hashem. That's where we graduate. We step up on the marriage, that's the ladder, and it helps us climb to the top. But if the ladder is broken, there's nothing to climb to. So yes, marriage is a big deal. And that is its purpose. And all the obligations and all the things that happen are just the building blocks to reach this great Ahava that the Rambam describes, that Shlomo HaMelech describes, that the Holy of Holies shows us when we walk in. That should be the hope, and it should be the goal of every person to have such a marriage in their life. Never enough. And Be'ezat Hashem, we have that beracha, that we have that in our homes every single day. Amen ve'amen. Amen.